And we're back. How's it going out there? My name is Andrew Kuhn, sitting alongside co-founder and partner here at Focus Compounding, Jeff Gannon. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Andrew. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. This is a question and answer episode. Mm -hmm. So we are going to be uh, going over some stuff that people had emailed in or tweeted at us. Uh, If you're not following us on Twitter, you definitely should. My uh, Twitter is at Focus Compound and Jeff's is at Jeff Gannon. That's G-E-O-F-F Gannon. Uh, You are listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, this is the audio part of our business. Um, If you are interested in overall stocks and and connecting with a community of other investors, feel free to go to focuscompounding.com and sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast, and that will give you $10 off the subscription price indefinitely, as long as you stay a member. Uh, Without further ado, we're just going to sort of jump into these questions that people had asked us on Twitter. Um, and the first one, we don't actually have the name. Actually, this may be from at EXP value. Maybe okay. not. <laughs> I'm sorry if, if it's not you. Uh, but he wanted to know more about your research process when um, first becoming interested in a stock. So he wanted to know about like how long does it take you um, from point A to point B You know when you are spending a lot of time on a stock, where you get from being interested to the point of uh, deciding to buy it or not buy it. And he also wanted to know how you read a 10K. Like, do you read it word from word? Do you skip around? Do you sort of start at the business process? So what's your sort of process with that? Um, well, I read the 10K word for word um, through the whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, so I print it out and read it. And I think I mentioned before I plan ahead for the week mm-hmm. uh, what 10Ks I'll be reading. So I have it printed out in uh, like one 10K a day. Okay. So I'm, and I'm reading the whole thing. Once I've committed to the idea that I'm going to read a 10K, I read the whole thing. I don't, you know, skim that. So there are plenty of stocks that I've looked at before and not decided to make it something that I'll, I'll spend a day on uh, or, or that it'll be the stock that I, that I look at that day. Um, in terms of the time, uh, so I would say, you know, um, it, it's a, certainly a matter of minutes it's not an hour um, that you know that the stock that you're looking at that you're when you're reading the 10k is more interesting than say um, you know it's the most interesting out of 20 let's say mm-hmm. okay I don't know if it's the most interesting out of a hundred or a thousand the moment I read it but it's the most interesting out of 20 like the, that that's pretty obvious do you think you're you're able to do that because you've just read so many 10ks over the years yeah I think that's probably true also I I often start looking at how to value it, whether it might make sense, um, the price might be attractive before I read the 10K. So how do you how do you value it before you read the 10K? Okay. So, so you like I, look at it like on like a screener, it's trading at 10 times EBITDA, EBITDA or whatever. So you say, oh, this could be in an interesting spot or what do you mean by well, that? Well, I'll give an example. So someone brought uh, an idea to me about uh, the, that he was interested in, not that I was, um, which was Sotheby's. Um, so this is the auction house, um, sort of a duopoly with Christie's for, mm-hmm. for art. Um, and so what I immediately did is I said, okay, well, this is a boom bust business, right? So how much EBITDA did it produce, um, in the like three years, the most recent three years, which is sort of a boom. And then three years going back, um, maybe 15 years or so ago when there was a a prior boom that I could tell. And I looked at like a three year average in both cases. And then I adjusted that for inflation and, um, the current share count and things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. To check, well, if it's five times boom, because we know they're busts, right? Sure. So when I can quickly decide, okay, well, this number is exaggerating how cheap it is, mm-hmm. right? If I'm only using the boom years. Well, if I use the boom years and see that it is trading at, you know, 11 times boom EBITDA, 
well, then I'm not that interested. Sure. But mm-hmm. if it's trading at six times the boom EBITDA, then I might be more interested. So you did this before actually diving yeah. into the 10K. Yeah. So it's sort of like you flip it around and think, how can I eliminate the stock mm-hmm. from consideration right away? Um, and, and not just like, how can I get this off my desk? But seriously think, okay, how can I tell that this isn't one of the more interesting ideas that it's sort of normally priced? Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned in some previous uh, podcast episode that I looked at a shipbuilder that was losing money. That's another good example. In terms of a screen, it wouldn't show up as very attractive. Uh-huh. But I looked at it cyclically and quickly checked to see if it was sort of a reasonable price or not. And what I came to the conclusion was um, that it would have to repeat sort of boom years. Sure. Right? And so I, I can't judge that because it, it I could tell that it had been um, based in part on um, – uh, oil production activity in the Gulf of Mexico, uh-huh. right? So I don't know how to evaluate that very well. So I can tell right away this is going to be a lot of research. I'm going to have to have an opinion about the Gulf of Mexico to be able to invest in the shipbuilder, right? Mm-hmm. But with some other companies, you can tell quickly that that's not the case. So we talked about Tandy. Tandy might have been trading at um, 1.1, 1.2 times book value. I said it was trading at maybe 1.5 times net current asset value. Um, it was maybe five or six times EBITDA. So right away, you see those numbers, and you can see that all you have to prove is sort of that um, earnings won't be worse than they are now, mm-hmm. and they might be a little bit better, you know? So, um, so, so you know, it, it depends on the company, though. I, I looked at, um, there's a write-up on the website about uh, the company usually operates under the name CSI, but it's Computer Services, Inc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a core processor, sort of like a... Um, uh, some some there's some very big stocks actually there's there's three peers I think that we compared it to but it's um it's an unlisted stock it's uh actually doesn't file with the SEC but that's a good example because it has had higher earnings almost every year for the last twenty years or something it's it's raised its dividend forty five straight years so on that one all you need to know is the PE really mm-hmm. right so if the PE is you know fifteen or twenty times what you expect it to earn next year yeah that's all you need to know sure. But it would depend on the stock. So it's completely different depending on the stock. Sometimes it could be book value, you know, if you're looking at insurer or something. So you do the quick check of those things, and that's how you tell. And then this guy, he asked what, and I guess it's sort of along the lines we were talking about, he says in terms of the appraisal value, mm-hmm. um, uh, when, you, when you're first reading it, is this a simple multiple that you slap on earnings, or do you plug a DCF, or what's your process like that to see maybe it's, again, worth continuing to explore? Right, exactly. That's what I'm looking at, really. Um, in terms of the, but I do could do an appraisal at the end of reading the 10K every mm-hmm. time. Uh, so once I finish the 10K, I put an appraisal on the stock. How much time do you think you spend on, or actually before I go on that, so is that just a simple, okay, this company's growing, this per- amount percentage, it's, its return on capital is this percentage, so you think it should be trading at this multiple? Is that how you sort of think about it, or do you... Private like owner. A, so private owner, okay. Yeah. Do so, you consider so like what are peers people? in that? or Yeah. yeah okay. So like Movado or something, I looked at it and said, what would Swatch pay to buy this company? Uh-huh. That kind of thing. That's really what you do. Got it. So, yeah, and, and you've said that, that that's pretty much all you're doing when you're pricing a stock is trying to figure out what a private owner would pay for the business. Yeah, and there's a reason for doing that, which is um, more than people think you get value from uh, events like that sure. happening uh-huh. or that has an influence on the stock eventually. And also you're when, when you're looking at a, at a stock, I don't like to use it as an input sort of the, the current sentiment, right, because it's almost like you're trying to be more right than the market. But then you're also kind of counting on, oh, this is what the market normally values these things at today. Sure. Well, I don't really want. So I've said many times what I try to do is what's it going to be like in five years? Mm-hmm. And that puts aside whatever the current excitement or or um, 
uh, or, or in sometimes pessimism and stuff is, you know. So when you mean by that, are you talking about your like growing their revenue, trying to find out what they're going to be earning in five years? Or what do you mean by that? Sure. So like frost. Uh-huh. So I said, okay, maybe they'll grow deposits by five or 6% a year mm-hmm. for, for five years. And then maybe the fed funds rate will be, you know, 3% or something instead mm-hmm. of what it was 0.25 or something when I looked at the stock. Um, so that's a way of avoiding thinking too much about the, because otherwise you get into the trap of just thinking, well, I won't buy the stock until I know the fed funds rate is going to go up. Well, once everyone knows the Fed funds rate is yeah, going to go up in the stock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the problem. So, okay. So then you, you grow revenues or whatever mm-hmm. out five years, which you think is conservative. And then and then do you get to EBIT or EBITDA and then you put a multiple on it that you think is fair? It's really different for every every stock. Okay. I really look at what I think the – I mean, I've t- I talked before about DreamWorks Animation. Mm-hmm. So DreamWorks Animation, I, I recently saw a, um, a like a, a fairness opinion kind of thing for, for a different stock. And they used uh, the acquisition of DreamWorks by Comcast, uh, by Universal, mm-hmm. um, as a comp there. And they said it was trading at something like 25 times EBITDA. But I didn't think that's a ridiculous price for it. And I might have been willing to buy it at a 10 or 15 times EBITDA, mm-hmm. which sounds really high. But EBITDA wasn't a really meaningful number there sure. because it had a library business and new film production. Mm-hmm. And EBITDA that comes from library is really valuable. EBITDA that comes from the new film production is not. Right. So like if Comcast decides to make a sixth um, Shrek movie, right, Mm -hmm. they own those rights and everything. So so it's just valuing it differently that way. Do you think I mean, we get a lot of questions about 10 Ks. I I think it's kind of one of the most it's almost interesting because I feel like that should be the easy part of investing is just sitting down reading it. But we Mm -hmm. get questions on it all the time. It kind of reminds me of I don't know if I think Todd Combs was at uh, he was at like a, a lecture that Warren Buffett was giving. I know this story is pretty well known. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked him or asked Warren, how do you get smarter? And Warren held up like 500 pages of, mm-hmm. you know, like presentation or annual reports, whatever. And said like, read this every single day. Yeah. And he said, all of you can do it, but almost none of you will do it. Yeah, that's true. You know? And do you think that's, it's almost like people know that that's the route that like what they should do, mm-hmm. but they just won't do it. Right. I and I don't know if it's because people are almost like, I don't know if I'm reading it the right way. Right. Or I think it, they feel stupid doing it. I think that's why they don't like it. Yeah. So because but, it feels like um, hard work and they're not sure that they're doing it right. Yeah. They want sort of a right answer. If you're doing it right, then um, no one will agree with you, basically. Uh-huh. I mean, if you come up with the answer that everyone else has, that's not worth anything. Mm-hmm. So what you need to do is you need to be able to f- find a way to look at a stock that's right and that's different. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty rare. So mostly you're just looking at, and, and that's what I think people miss with like Warren Buffett. They're missing the fact that he's looking at 95 um, different stocks. Yeah, because he's so big. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I mean, and, and saying no. I don't have an opinion about this. I don't really know anything about this. And then he's saying, oh, here are these five that I'm really going to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And then from that, maybe there's the one that he, he buys in a given quarter, a year, or whatever. Sure. You know. But people just hear, oh, he's buying Apple or IBM or, or whatever, or airlines, or you know, not realizing how many times he's looked at these things. Sure. And more than that, how many times he's looked at other things and just said, I don't know. Yeah. You know, And, and it's an incredible amount of reading specific company things. He also reads, like I think, um, uh, trade magazines. Mm-hmm. So, so sometimes you can hear when he mentions some things that obviously he reads like American Banker and some things like that. So, that, which are very specific and pretty boring sorts of things mm-hmm. um, that people don't read. Like, um, uh, 
we cite those things a lot when we did the reports, like we, the ad in industry or um, something like that. There, we would mention those sorts of things, and, and they're not the most interesting stuff for um, investors to read. Sure. But they're the things that matter, the 10Ks and also things that are industry-specific like that. Uh-huh. And so, I mean, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. And do you think he just – and it's, he's literally said that's all he does all day is just read – read yeah. different annual reports and stuff like that. So do you think that's people, they just don't know how to do it? So, I mean, you've come out and said, I mean, you read it pretty much word from word, the footnotes, you know, yeah. everything. So footnotes are the most important part. Yeah. Because that's far. where they, they sneak in a lot of stuff in there. Right. Mm -hmm. What do you, so when you come across like the income statement, the balance sheet, the cash flow statement, mm -hmm. what are some things you're looking at? And it's so hard to ask that because I know every business is different. Right. So you could say, Oh, I'm looking for a company that has high gross margins or Right. Even margins, whatever, but mm -hmm. it's like, but you could look at a company like Costco, that's a, f a fantastic business, but mm -hmm. it's because of its business model, it has obviously low net margins, you know? So, yeah, I'm not looking for anything in particular like uh -huh. that. Like, a lot of people talk that way where they say, this is what I want, this yeah. is the list that I have. Mm -hmm. I don't have any of that. I, I come at it from what is unusual about this. So, I have sort of an idea of what's the normal range of sort of every number, mm -hmm. you know, what you're used to seeing for this kind of industry or this kind of business or what you would expect yeah a lot of times it's just guessing ahead of time before i've even looked at things i'm expecting like we talked about tandy mm. so i'm not expecting to see 60 percent gross margins sure so that really stands out to me and then when i figure out that it's like a soft that business. that leather has even lower gross margins then i'm thinking okay so on accessories their gross margins have to be this thing so like they sell tools for leather crafting mm -hmm. right yeah well you, then you figure out okay the gross margins on the tools have to be like 70 percent if the gross margins including leather are you know 60 percent Mm -hmm. So that sort of thing stands out. It's the stuff that's really unusual. Uh, like you mentioned Costco. What was standing about Costco is the um, consistency, mm -hmm. right? So Costco has almost margin variations at the level of like an Omnicom, yeah. like yeah. a service business, yeah. right? So you so you think it's really more so instead of just being so black and white of oh gross margins have to equal this it's really probably just trying to understand the business yeah the reason more. why you don't yeah. do it that way and there's people that do I I mean obviously mm -hmm. I ask these questions I mean we kind of right. do it the same way but I'm proposing it from a different view um, because there's a lot of people that do do that yeah the reason why you don't have like a checklist that you want something that checks all the boxes yeah. is because if it does then it's expensive yeah because if it's if it's the way that most people are looking at a stock and it and it conforms to that sort of stereotype of a good business, mm -hmm. then it's not going to be a very um, good price that you're going to get. Sure. So it really is looking at it a different way. Um, you know, the, the, the opportunity is often and the time that to buy it is going to be that, mm -hmm. you know, and even the same stock will look that way at different times. Like I mentioned frost. So in a few years, frost might look very typical and sort of interesting enough to, you know, kind of quality investors or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when the Fed funds rate is at a certain percentage for a few years in a row, it'll look like it'll have grown earnings a lot over time and things like that. But when it was really attractive to me is when it was growing deposits but had no earnings growth for several sure. years because of that. So, like, it's that sort of thing that is actually interesting. Mm -hmm. And and you find that when you look. And that's the sort of thing that stands out. You look and you go, oh, deposits are growing up all the time, but earnings aren't. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's what gets you interested. Yeah, because – yeah. And do you do you ever read the proxy statements? Yes, always. Really? So what are you so looking you for? So you mean for there? like the annual, yeah. The, yeah, the annual meeting? Yeah, I do. Always. Because that breaks down like uh, I wanna compensation. Who, sure. So I want to know who the owners are. And okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing is who are the owners. And I often look that kind of stuff up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what else do they own? Can I find things online about them? That sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. We've talked about that a little bit before. You know, I will. NACO, I looked at some satellite photos. I've mentioned sometimes before that I'll look at for tax appraisals of certain properties, things like that. So I will look up 
all the names of people I see there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is sometimes the incentive stuff matters. So it's especially interesting to see what they are tracking. So is the company tracking things like uh, customer satisfaction and things like that? Is that part of the bonus? Or is it things that are just like return on capital or something like that? And, and when we did reports, sometimes we included that. So like I think in Granger's case or something, we included that their bonuses mention certain targets for um, return on capital, return on uh, probably tangible um, capital, and um, also uh, growth. Mm-hmm. And so that gives you some hints about they're probably not going to set these at levels that there's no way that they can make. Yeah, for sure. So it gives you some ideas of that, mm-hmm. you know, especially for a company that's not providing guidance or something. Yeah. Interesting. And do you ever look at like the CEO, like how much of their compensation comes from stock as opposed to salary, vice versa, et cetera? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh-huh. Uh, I think people put a really big, big point about that. Mm-hmm. They make a really big deal of that. And, um, well, obviously you want to see their bread is buttered sort of similar, I guess, for the outcome for them is pretty mm-hmm. aligned with ours. Correct. Yeah, sure. That That's certainly true. Um, but I try to be like open-minded about that mm-hmm. in that they're often usually, uh, they're usually not going to run the place the way that I would run it necessarily. Sure. And there's certain sort of, um, institutional things. So at a big company, they sort of tend to run it the same way that other big companies that they look at are run that way mm-hmm. with, with founder led things. And, um, uh, small companies and things like that sometimes it's a lot different right Mm -hmm. but for professionally managed big companies they tend to be i mean honestly they often have outside consultants sure yeah and it's pretty boring uh, that part of it um so that's stuff that you can tell right away like what are the incentives and things it's often founder-led things and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. um culturally that's most important is when if there's a founder who's still around interesting and okay, so getting back to the main, which I guess is the topic of the video mm-hmm. about reading a 10K. So if you had to sort of summarize it and give somebody a roadmap on how to successfully read a 10K, what would you say? Uh, well, you should read the whole thing from beginning to end. You want to read it very actively. And I think this is something that people don't do. So you want to write down your thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. A lot of times people want to take notes, like the 10K is going to tell them things that, or like it's almost like they're doing homework or something like these are the things I'm supposed to circle or whatever. That idea of supposed to is something you have to get out of your head. Mm-hmm. It's you're using it for your purposes. It's not an idea of how you're supposed to do it. So put that aside and think about what do you want to get out of it and then put your estimates in it and things like that. But constantly be writing things down. You don't really know your own thoughts on something until you write them down mm-hmm. or talk them through with someone. That's the two things I encourage people to do all the time is find someone to talk a stock through with a specific stock. Like both of you read the same 10 K sure. mm-hmm. or start a blog. Sure. Then you have to put your ideas out there in writing. You don't have to do either one of those, but most people aren't going to sit there and talk to themselves, right? They mm-hmm. feel a little crazy doing that. Yeah. And most people aren't going to write up something for themselves if they know it'll never be published. Yeah, sure. That's a little weird because really you're doing it just for yourself, but most people won't do that. They feel too strange doing that. Yeah. But your thoughts will be so much clearer if you do that mm-hmm. than they would be um, you know, if you know that you're doing it just for yourself. And the other alternative is to join Focus Compounding and put it on mm-hmm. the idea exchange, right? Yep. <laughs> you can put on the idea exchange and then uh, people react to and stuff there. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and to to that point of being active with it, I remember mm-hmm. I was reading um, on Reddit, Alice Schroeder, she did a uh, an Ask Me Anything series that I've referenced in the past on Warren Buffett and somebody asked what his process is. And he said, I believe she said that when he prints out like a, a 10K, um, on the first page of it, he'll just write down like page numbers that of stuff that's interesting that he kind of wants to reference in the past or okay. in the uh, 
like in the future or anything and and that's sort of his way way of taking notes on it as well Mm -hmm. yeah and then i know you you kind of you you underline stuff as well and you're very active in your process yeah i write all over there's a lot of questions especially yeah a lot of questions of the idea of thoughts that i have you know follow up on this mm-hmm. um what does this mean Things yeah like and i'm kind of the same way like i write down the page numbers because i obviously can't remember mm-hmm. where i found but i keep like a separate pad of paper almost and i'll just mm-hmm. put a line down the middle and say okay page three they're talking about this or just mm-hmm. notes it's more so like you said just actively reading yeah. it yeah and if you don't do it with a printout and i know that even though we say to print it out and do it a lot of people aren't going to do that yeah lots of people especially they they happen to be have a laptop they are not have a printout thing. i can't focus there. with that i i, yeah. prefer, I gotta print it out it's so yeah much i think better. that's true for a lot of people yeah. um but if you if you are going to read it on your computer um make sure that you open up a in fact, it doesn't have to be a word file. It could be like notepad or whatever, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And just type in notes there constantly, line by line. Mm-hmm. You know, at least do that yeah. while you're reading it. Well, because you're, you're getting something gonna... out of it, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. so you're actively putting your thoughts down there instead of just like scrolling through it and reading mm-hmm. it and thinking that you're going to somehow get it. You're not going to get everything you need from it by reading it passively. You can't read it like you'd read a novel. Yeah, sure. That's not that how it's prepared so, for you. Yeah, you got to get your brain ready for right. it. Right. I yeah. mean, a novel is set up, the writer is making it very clear to get across to you what they yeah. want your experience to be. Sure. A 10K is not that. You have to go the in puzzle. there and take it out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you think, yeah, I mean, and that's and that's exactly it. You just have to be active about it. And, and mm-hmm. there's a difference between lazy reading, like you were saying, mm-hmm. with a novel and, and I guess being in the zone when you're reading it. Yeah, and I find that it would be hard for me to read one 10K after another. I really make it, I, I certainly have read more than one 10K in a day, but if I want one that I'm really interested in, mm-hmm. that is the main thing for that day. And I really put it aside as this is the main focus for this day. Because otherwise you spend a lot of time where people will spend 10 minutes with a 10K, not really yeah. know if they got anything out of it, move on to the next one. And they'll go through 10 different ones and not have read any of them all the way sure. through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's that focus word. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yep. That is very important. Any other thoughts on the on the topic? No, I think those were great questions about 10K. I think it comes down, because again, people get people ask questions on it all the time. It's sort of like this huge confusion. Like, do I read it word from word? Do you, mm-hmm. It's read it word from word. Just sit down, block it all out, read it word from word, take notes, appraise the company, move on, right? Yeah, I think a big problem that people have is they don't understand some of it. Yeah. Okay. You can look that up, try to figure it out, mm-hmm. um, figure it out from context, things like that. I mean, there was a time when you were in grade school and stuff mm-hmm. and you read things that there were words in it that you didn't understand. Yeah. You figured it out from context, you looked it up, you just kept reading and eventually it made sense, yeah. you know? Yeah. You know, a lot of times for people, it's like the experience of, you know, you've started a TV show with seven seasons on Netflix and you started season three or something, yeah, right? sure. So it makes no sense for a couple episodes, but after yeah. that, you're like, yeah, I kind of yeah. need to go back <laughs> and see what I got it. Yeah, you just and that's what happened with, with the 10K. Yeah, if you keep reading them, a lot of the things you'll see repeated and stuff, it'll make a lot more sense than than you think. But yeah, there's stuff that will look like it's foreign to you at first. Mm-hmm. But like I said, if you can read one a day, if you could really set aside that kind of time, you, very quickly you're going to get a lot better at it and well, it's going to be comfortable. I think that's it. And I think you'll find that a lot of, I don't want to say businesses overlap, but there's so many times where I'll mm-hmm. like read something in a 10K that's com- in a business that's completely unrelated to other ones I've read mm-hmm. and it reminds me of it. It's almost like right. that pattern recognition. You're yes, like, oh, exactly. okay, this is where my, okay, this is what they're doing or mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's interesting. Cool. Well, we want to thank uh, the gentleman that wrote in or the woman that wrote in for that question. Um, this was a, a podcast that we dedicated to going over 10 Ks. Mm-hmm. As we said, the summary is just, just keep on reading it, right? Mm-hmm. Word from word, 
Yep. Our suggestion is to print it out, even though we know Absolutely, people yeah. won't do it. Uh, but the most important thing is read it actively. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. and you will certainly uh, get better at that. So we want to thank everybody for tuning in to listen to us today. You are listening to the Focus Compounding Podcast. If you do want to get access to ideas on our website, be sure to sign up using the podcast promo code, which is podcast. That gives you access to a bunch of things. And also that gives ac- you access to a weekly memo that you could actually sign up for free. Yeah, they can sign up for the memo for free. Yep. Uh, you go to focuscombating.com, you put in your email address, and that'll get you a weekly email from me. That is correct. For all the stock-specific stuff about specific stocks, um, talking with members, all that stuff, that you have to sign up for. But the the uh, memo is really just about one investing principle. You get it each week in your mailbox and uh, your inbox, and all you have to do for that is give us your email address. Very high quality, too, by the way. Yeah? You, okay. you put a lot of time in it, and then how long does it take you to write a memo? That takes a while because it's... Always one page. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Jeff's working hard to keep the content coming. So be sure to do that if that's something you're interested in. Other than that, we'll see you in the next episode. Take care.